What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Xavier Trish, for the day. Uh, you can follow me everywhere at Xavier underscore Trish. That's T-R-I-C-H-E. And the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge himself, Nicholas Ian Allen. You can follow him everywhere at CFB Winning Edge on the Twitter machine. And today, you see that we don't have a Scott. He's enjoying <laughs> himself as a fan should, as his Diamondbacks are in the World Series. He will be at he was at Tuesday's game, and he will be at today's game. So we're recording this on a Wednesday. So good luck to the Diamondbacks, because um, I know what it's like to watch your team lose in this final game as well. And that's neither, and that's not good either. So hopefully they get a win and continue the series going. Uh, but Scott, you're definitely you're definitely missed on this week's episode. We've got a great slate as always, um, and we're going to start off with Penn State. Going to Maryland, um, the line is Penn State by 11 and a half. Um, Nick, what are we saying about this game? Oh, I'm sorry. I jumped the gun. We, we <laughs> week. See, I, I was already getting into the slate of games. How did we do last week on the numbers? And did you find anything from last week that was interesting, whether by the numbers or just in general? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, we're doing this this a little bit different, right? right. We, we've done this is episode two hundred and twenty, uh, and we were talking just before we hit record that this is the first time in two hundred and eighteen episodes that we've been without Scott. I think it was <laughs> it was just you and me in, in episode one, and Scott came on with us uh, in in episode two, and and uh, so we we definitely have have uh, gotten into a little bit of a rhythm, but. Um, yeah, last week, uh, it was, it was, I mean, I, I feel like I say the same thing just about every week. So, so it's understandable to, uh, to skip it, but I mean, there were, there were some surprises, right? I mean, there were, there were a lot of great games There were definitely some surprises. Uh, I personally did not see, uh, Kansas knocking off Oklahoma. I think that was probably the um the biggest eye opener of the week i i honestly uh didn't necessarily see oregon state falling to arizona although you know both of those matchups um definitely had their you know they're, they're definitely having to go on the road um certainly as we saw how it played out there there are opportunities to to stumble in those situations where you've got some teams who are up and coming, both Kansas and Arizona, of course, uh, have really made some strides over the last couple of years and are, are emerging as uh, consistently very, very difficult teams to beat. So, you know, certainly not necessarily shocked by either of those. One that was a little bit more surprising, I think, and, and uh, similar situation going on the road. But, um, you know, Georgia Tech hasn't really taken that major step forward. But North Carolina, uh, it's second straight week coming up short georgia tech gets a big win at home maybe they are a team in that uh you know the 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 building that we've seen at kansas at arizona you know perhaps georgia tech is is starting out on uh, a similar path but um there were definitely some great games you know sort of the the usual suspects the teams that we often you know the three of us you scott and i will uh, text throughout the day on Saturdays. And, and um, we often talk about, oh, USC, you know, same old thing. They barely survive uh, that, that game against Cal. 
um, you know, there were others in, in that uh, situation as well. Miami was one, you know, our, our numbers last week uh, were big on Miami to cover as a big favorite, like they were in North Carolina. We saw that North Carolina defense last week that that we had gotten used to seeing over the previous couple of years. Looked like they had taken a step forward, um, but you know, couldn't couldn't stop Georgia Tech uh, for anything. So there were definitely some similarities to things that we've seen in the past, some themes that we've seen week to week. Always treated to some gate some great games, uh, but also a few uh, surprises as well. But as far as the the numbers specifically go. Um, uh, Prism, the, the stats only model, carried the day. I mean, it was one of the best uh, weeks really we've ever seen uh, from that particular set of numbers. It was 36 and 18 last week. So uh, 67%, two thirds of the win or two thirds of the games um, were on the right side picking against the spread. Um, but the Prism model uh, ended up giving us a, a lot different. Uh, look at projections at matchups than the other three. Pretty much everything else across the board was just under 500, so mostly relatively non-eventful. Um, but that Prism model, the, the uh, projected scoring margin, stats-only model, just had an absolutely huge week, definitely the best week of, of the season so far. Um, and it it's pretty much pulled even and, and maybe even a percentage point or two ahead of uh, the talent edge model. And then of course our, our primary team strength model uh, so far this season. So uh, it was good to see that wish all the models would have been, you know, closer to 67% than the 50% uh, or, or shortly, or, or, you know, just shy of that uh, that we saw last week, but overall, you know, another good week and, and plenty of, plenty of interesting things uh, games wise as well. For sure. I mean, on my end, I think first and foremost, Georgia State got embarrassed on national television. That was not a great start to the week. Uh, but then Georgia handled their business against Florida. So I guess if I had to choose which one I would have rather see lost, probably was Georgia State. Sorry, alma mater. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I felt like we had a couple of games that were extremely interesting. Um, and, and more so than anything, just some, I think teams continue to play who they are. Uh, Ohio State, once again, has to kind of, you know, bare knuckle brawl it through another game against a Big Ten team with a with a, with a above with a good defense, right? Uh, winning 24 to 10, having to kind of, you know, slugfest it. Kyle McCord was okay. Uh, but Trayvon Henderson looks like he's back at, you know, at tip-top shape. Washington for another week in a row sleepwalks to a win. Yeah. Uh, you know, winning 42 to 33. It wasn't, it wasn't all that impressive on the defense side of the ball for another week in a row. Um, on the flip side of that, Oregon, kind of like they did last year after their early, year, early loss, dominated, right? Went into yeah. Utah and absolutely obliterated a Utah team that we've talked about their defense week in and week out being pretty, pretty darn good. And obviously keeping them, you know, keeping them afloat for large parts of the year. So there was that. Yeah, that was that was one that our numbers were were all over Oregon on that one. And as we talked about last week, I was uh, I personally was was very hesitant to, yeah. to buy yeah. into it. But they absolutely uh, looked elite there and, and Utah not quite able to to hang with them. Uh, you know, unlike what we've seen that Utah team do uh, most of the season so far. Yeah. Um, Oklahoma was Oklahoma. I mean, they pick up one of those losses where, once again, their defense doesn't show up. And I'm sitting there like, Brett Venable is what we got going. Um, I think for the rest of the games that you didn't hit on, obviously Louisville handled their business. Um, I think 
if I'm Duke, it's time to sit down Riley Leonard. He just doesn't look 100%. Um, and I think at this point, you're out of the ACC title race. So move as far away from him as quarterback, at quarterback as possible um, just to protect the kid as far as his draft positioning and his health is concerned. Uh, Tennessee was able to beat, beat out Kentucky on the road. Um, and probably what was Devin Leary's best game against a against a, a, a like opponent all year. Um, you know, 372, two touchdowns. Uh, but Kentucky could not run the football on the flip side. Tennessee was able to. Um, and that was what ended up obviously changing the game, um, in my opinion. Uh, Ray Davis only ran for 42 yards. And I think that really, that really slowed down a Kentucky team that was trying to play a little ball control. Uh, Tulane escaping Rice did not <laughs> coming um especially with michael pratt being the starting quarterback didn't see them having to do that um and then you know uh similarly james madison having to escape old dominion once again did not see that coming uh, i felt james madison would dominate uh, but gave me hope that this week georgia state might be able to pull that upset if you know if that quarterback continues to play the way that he did against old, old dominion we might have a shot um and then last but not least for me was ucla really weird Really weird team, and they've had some really weird games this year. And I, I feel like Saturday would continue that that narrative. Um, in a game where I think they sacked Shador Sanders nine times or something, or rather, they still only won the game by twelve. They, yeah. their offense could not finish in the red zone. They had a slew of turnovers themselves. Uh, it just didn't seem. It seemed ex- extremely disjointed for a team that was dominating that game. Um, and felt like if Colorado could just figure themselves out, might have a chance to make it one. Um, ultimately, they still won the game 28-16, but it just didn't feel like – it felt more like a, a 40-19 kind of game. And in all actuality, you, you looked up and it was like, Colorado's just still in this? Like, just still hanging around? Um, I think UCLA fumbled on – I think – I know they fumbled on consecutive possessions, but I feel like they almost fumbled like three out of four. Possessions in a row, they had a turnover. I was just like, what is going on? It was like a turnover fest. Um, mm-hmm. And if the could have had any time in the pocket, I think Colorado might have walked away with an upset. But UCLA continues to win and win weird. Um, so, so yeah, another week of college football in the books. Um, and, yeah, let's move on to week – are we at week nine? Week ten. Week ten ah, now. This goes by way too quickly. Yeah. Like way too fast. Um the, the, the spring and summertime never move this fast with other sports, I swear. <laughs> only in the fall where you're like, oh, yeah, we're in week 10 of the college football season, which means we only have, you know, three weeks to go counting this – or, you know, three yeah, three weeks to go counting this one. Um, four weeks if, you know, if you had a bye week, obviously. So, But first game on the docket, as I mentioned earlier, we have Penn State on the road at Maryland. Penn State is favored by 11 and a half. Uh, the total is 50 and a half. What the well? What does the number say about this one? Um, and how do you feel about this game? Well, so it, it was interesting to me. This was one that that uh, we added later. It, it honestly wasn't initially on my primary radar, but I'm I'm glad you brought it up. It's it's going to be a, a very interesting test for Penn State to see. Um, you know, one obviously they they uh, played. Ohio State a couple of weeks ago come up short, right? The the following week you have an opportunity for um, that. There, there's the potential for that Ohio State loss to snowball a little bit, maybe carry over uh, into you know the the rest of the season. Quite honestly, and and we saw uh, a little bit of what that might 
look like because you know Penn State uh, really struggled with Indiana early on uh, could not put the Hoosiers away until you know very late in the fourth quarter um, were able to to kind of survive that one at home where you know they they were what a, uh, nearly a 30 point 31 and a half point favorite I think it was officially and, and our numbers had it uh, a little lower than that but definitely more than um, you know the the way that they were able to to survive that one the postgame win expectancy number according to collegefootballdata.com was 30 percent for Penn State so if they were to play that game over again the same box score um, you know Penn State's going to lose that game seven out of ten times so uh a, a really really you know disappointing performance they were able to survive it they were able to, to keep themselves alive with you know just the one loss overall and the one loss in uh conference play obviously and then you know now they're going on the road uh, to play a maryland team that is dealing with its its own uh struggles maryland Similarly, you know, got off to a great start, um, five and zero, and then lose against Ohio State. And Maryland hasn't been able to to get anything corrected. I mean, they they've now lost three in a row. Um, they were upset at home by Illinois. Had the off week to prepare the trip to Northwestern, where obviously not a, a tough environment week to week. That Northwestern team um, has been dealing with so much this year. I mean, all the, the off season or, you know, off the field stuff uh, laid into uh, the preseason, but that Northwestern team is, is proven to, you know, fight and, and they're still technically uh, alive, may have an opportunity to, to get to a bowl game uh, that would shock just about everybody. But um, you know, Maryland hasn't quite, hit that threshold yet they're they're on five wins and every game the rest of the way is losable obviously they are an underdog against penn state um and then they have to take a trip to nebraska where they are uh fighting for bowl eligibility have shown some improvement uh in, in recent weeks been able to to get a couple of wins together uh michigan of course i mean they're they're in that playoff picture quite obviously they're number one in our power rankings uh and Rutgers is is on its way to a bowl game already so uh Maryland has uh you know it, they they I think have a win in them to get to bowl eligibility but it's certainly not a foregone conclusion uh, this game against Penn State a little bit of a rivalry in in you know uh, geographic terms they're they're uh the closest Big Ten opponent I think perhaps with the the uh other than Rutgers, but um, this game is at home, is in College Park, and Maryland is a, a talented team. They, they actually don't stack up uh, too poorly with Penn State. I expected our projection to be a little bit bigger. We're within a touchdown uh, in the team strength model. Uh, or the uh, talent edge model likes Penn State a little bit more, has it closer to six, and then that prism model, which is really hot right now, um, has it nearing double digits. So, uh, you know, Penn State, obviously a, a favorite, you know, double digits on the road. Seems like it's perhaps a little bit too much for our numbers. We're definitely clearly all three models are on the Maryland side. Our projected total is almost exactly uh, the 50 and a half that was uh, uh, officially when we released these, of course, on the campus to Canton 
Discord on uh, Tuesday. Um, but with the fact that this game is is at home, our numbers do still show some strength, show that this Maryland team is better, certainly, than they were, uh, than the team that we saw on the field last week against Northwestern. Team performance-wise, you know, they were 31st in overall team performance, 31st on the offensive side of the ball, 41st on defense. They're in the top 30 in our power rankings still, you know, even after three consecutive losses, uh, two of those coming, you know, as a favorite. This team, I think, is still dangerous. And if Penn State doesn't, uh, you know, get itself corrected and look like the team that was ready to, you know, challenge Ohio State. Looks like the team that, you know, our numbers and, and uh, you know, most folks out there expect is capable of, of giving Michigan a run, you know, definitely being in the mix for the Big Ten title, you know, maybe an outside shot still at, at a playoff spot. But uh, this is a game where, you know, they're, they're going to have to, uh, show up and, and get going a little bit quicker than they did last week against Indiana. It's a little bit of a, a look-ahead spot with Michigan uh, on November 11th at home. Um, and, and it's a, an opportunity where if, if Penn State you know struggles, if we don't see more out of Drew Alar, if a couple of the injury issues that they're dealing with, I know Harrison Moss third has been banged up, Theo Johnson left last game with an injury, Trop Robinson, their elite uh, pass rusher, did not play last week against Indiana. Um, so this Penn State team is, is vulnerable, but, you know, with a top five defense, they're number four in defensive team performance, they're top 10, both against the pass and against the run so far this season, you know, they're the better team. This is a game that they should win, but our numbers and, and you know, based on what I saw from Penn State specifically uh, last week, they're, they're a little bit difficult to trust, I think, right now. They're a little bit shaken. Um, certainly they could come in, get right, look like a top 15, top 10 team and, and blow out Maryland on the road. But, um, you know, I kind of, I kind of trust the numbers here. I, I feel like, uh, I'd rather be on the Maryland side as a double digit underdog at home. I think they're going to be, uh, able to, to keep it close and Penn state, you know, at least in our most recent, uh, couple of weeks seeing this team hasn't really looked like the team that's that's going to be capable of, of pulling away to get that, you know, 12, 14 or, or more uh, that, we, that they would need to cover. Yeah, I think realistically the, 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 the really big concern I have if I were a Penn State fan right now more than anything would be the fact that I'm not so sure that Penn State can run with Maryland. And I, I know that's a crazy thing to say possibly, uh, but Maryland's a team that offensively is extremely gifted. Uh, defensively, they've, they've been okay this year, but they've been a team that has had very little standing in their way on the offensive side of the football for most of the majority of the season, even, even in their losses, even in three straight losses. They put up 24 and 27 points respectively in the last two, uh, obviously only putting up 17 against Ohio State. But on the flip side, you're looking at a Penn State team that I think has only put up 30. They put up 30 a couple of times um, this year. <clears throat> but more importantly, in the last, you know, in the games against, I would say, competent opponents uh hasn't been great and a lot of it's been a real you know testy against some of these teams you mentioned last week against um Rutgers uh, sorry I guess Indiana where they struggled to put them away the other big piece to this is I'm not sure Chop Robinson and company are going to be back for this week um so if you give Talia time in the pocket he's a guy who will dice you up 
Um, he's had no problem in his career showing the ability to throw for 450, throw for three, you know, throw for 375 and, th- and two or three scores and really put a lot of pressure on your back end. That really didn't look all that great last week. Uh, you know, they allowed t- uh, Indiana's uh, quarterback, Brendan Sorsby, to throw for three touchdowns um, on only 13 completions, which tells me that there was a ton of explosives um, in that, um, which is not a good thing for, you know, an offense that, in Maryland that wants to push the ball down the field. If he has time, wants to be a team that, you know, is going to test your corners and safeties multiple times throughout a ball game. Um, You've got to be disciplined on the back end for that not to be the case, right? Ohio state made Talia look rather pedestrian. They got pressure. They forced him out of the pocket. He ended up making mistakes. However, on the flip side, if you do look at them, like they did against, you know, you know, um, comparable opponents, they put up 44 points against Indiana, and it wasn't even close. <laughs> um, you know, uh, you know, Talia threw for five touchdowns and 330 and 352 yards. So, my biggest thing with, with Penn State coming into this week is can Aller, if he needs to, match Talia? Um, and, and my biggest concern with that was I, ha- I haven't seen Aller really do it on a consistent basis, um, and I haven't seen him do it from a place of being down either. And that's really the biggest concern for me is if they do get down early in this game. Do they have the horses on the outside to just say go win? Like we just need you to win right now. And I'm not so I'm not entirely sure that they do. I mean, I think really realistically, this game's going to come down to obviously quarterback play. But whether or not Penn State goes out there and allows it takes the training wheels off of Drew Aller a little bit. I feel like a lot of these matchups I've watched Drew, uh, Drew Aller kind of have training wheels where they're like, all right, cool. You know, you hit a ten yard pass. We're going to go ahead and run it the next three times. I'm just like. Is James Franklin not prepared to let this kid go, or is this something he's seeing in practice where he can't press the green light, given the green light just yet? Um, he's going to have to win this game, in my opinion. I think especially if they're not healthy on the defensive line, they're not going to get pressure on Talia, and he's going to really test a secondary that hasn't been great this year. Um, against, like, I would say, hasn't been amazing this year. Let me say, they, I think they've been good enough, but I don't think they've been a, a, a standout. For that defense, I think their front four and their front seven, as typical Penn State teams do, have been has been really solid. So give me Penn State to win this game. But I would not be surprised, as you mentioned earlier, if if Maryland can cover here. Um, I feel like this is going to be similar to last week against Indiana. I think Penn State wins this game like thirty to twenty four. Yeah, sounds good. Next on the docket, we have one of my favorite games of the year, just genuinely because. When these two teams in the Big 12 face Kansas State, they tend to either ball out or more of the times than not, they struggle. And that's Texas against Kansas State. It's not in Manhattan, so I don't expect anything entirely too weird to happen. But on the flip side, Kansas State has been a team that that has been able to compete with pretty much their entire schedule so far. So, Nick, what are the numbers saying on this? Should Should Texas be worried about possibly losing this one? I think I think that it definitely is a losable game for Texas. Um, you know, our numbers have have been high on Texas all season, or, or they they were. I guess I maybe maybe that's not entirely correct. Coming into the season, we were on the high side as far as our team strength, uh, power rankings. You know, had Texas well inside the top ten. Um, really thought there was an opportunity for them to, to climb maybe into the you know, top five. Um, and uh, early on, they, they look quite good. A lot of the other 
projection systems. I, I know if you uh, see the weekly update that Nate Manzo does on on uh, Twitter, where uh, you know he he puts our numbers as well as things like SP Plus and and uh, you know the numbers that Brian Fromo does and and Kelly Ford and uh, Beta Rank, all all folks who do a, a really really great job and and have a different spin, sort of like you know we have our own uh way of of calculating things everybody else does as well it's cool to see how they all uh differ well a lot of those numbers you know they overtook our uh texas position fairly early on um texas of course because we we do have it built out where our team profiles have the individual player ratings texas is is being hurt right now because quinn ewers is out um the quarterback position weighs quite heavily and and you know i personally uh, really think that Malik Murphy has a great future, but him stepping in as a retro freshman, you know, didn't play a snap last year, I believe. Uh, I got some very limited opportunities early this season um, and certainly has a, a great skill set. Um, obviously has, uh, you know, really, really performed well in the spring, was able to put some distance uh, between himself and Arch Manning uh, as that, you know, next man up at the quarterback position where if an opportunity were to present itself as it did, unfortunately be an injury to yours, but Murphy is in position to uh, take advantage and, and got his feet wet a little bit last week. Wasn't asked to do too much, but uh, you know, Texas did go out, get a, a big win against BYU um, also at home, of course. And, and, you know, getting this game, at home against K-State, certainly, uh, you know, preferred there. Uh, looking ahead, uh, seeing uh, Malik Murphy, you know, having to make that first road trip next week against TCU, eh, you know, uh, might might be a little bit of a, a potential uh, trouble spot. But, you know, get get this game at home and, and certainly see Texas being favored, obviously. I mean, we've talked plenty about the way our – ratings are built and roster strength you know the, the the recruiting ratings and adjustments for experience and production that's a big thing even though we do see a little bit of a downgrade uh going from ewers who's a 97 rated player based not only because he was a five star uh but has been productive uh in his career to date murphy being the inexperienced player obviously you know very well regarded coming out of high school four-star player but you know he's he's just shy of 80 in those individual player ratings. So those 17 points, you know, they, they have been a big reason why Texas is dropping out of 15th in our power rankings. They're still playing like a, you know, top six team. They're number six in overall team performance, top 20 on offense. The defense has been really, really solid. They're top 10 in defensive team performance, top 25, both against the pass and against the run. Uh, but they're going up against a Kansas state team who, you know, Talk about that other group of, of analytics folks and, and you know their power ratings and, and everything. Um, this K State team, in a lot of the other you know models, uh, is much higher. Um, K State being a you know they're forty fifth in overall roster strength, uh, being a team that often is is you know developmental program doesn't bring in five-star talent like Texas does consistently uh, doesn't even bring in that many four-stars. Certainly they've got some uh, 
sprinkled throughout the roster. We've seen Avery Johnson, uh, one of the, the higher rated quarterback recruits in K-State his, history. He's gotten an opportunity uh, to, to see some time, even with Will Howard back and healthy now. Um, but Kansas State is a team that has just played excellent football this season. They have, have outperformed those talent numbers in a big way. I put together a list uh, for our uh, C2C Winning Edge members in, in the, the Discord uh, this week talking uh, about you know who has done more with less this season, who are the, the teams that their team performance uh, ratings have exceeded those roster strength ratings. And, and Kansas State is definitely uh, in the mix. I mean, they're number two behind Air Force, who we often you know, mention anytime we bring up Air Force that, that their roster is mostly loaded with two stars and, and unrated players. But Kansas State has been legitimately on the field a top 10 team. They're seventh in overall team performance. They are number 11 on the offensive side of the ball, number six rushing. Uh, they've been able to, you know, Avery Johnson obviously has, has been part of that. Will Howard can run a little bit as well. So the quarterback position is carrying a, 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 quite a bit of that load. But, you know, Treshawn Ward, the transfer from Florida State, he's been a little bit banged up. Looks like he's back closer to full health. But we've really seen DJ Giddens emerge. So this Kansas State, you know, rushing offense has been one of the best in the country. And, you know, we've seen some K-State offenses in the past that really didn't throw it well. And certainly it's not the, the main strength uh, for the Wildcats, but they're 45th in, you know, passing offensive team performance. And, and that's, that's solid. I mean, if, if you were to tell me in the preseason uh, that K-State would be a top 50 passing offense in team performance, then, you know, I'd be a, a much bigger believer, I think, than I was. I expected this K-State team to potentially take a step back after winning the Big 12 last year. Um, but they they definitely haven't. They've played like a, a legitimate top 10 team, a team that's very capable of, you know, getting back into uh, that Big 12 championship game. And, and they are absolutely a threat to Texas. Um, but as I mentioned, we're not quite as high as far as that overall mix of team performance and roster strength. Uh, K-State is, is 25th in our power rankings. And I think we're definitely on the low side uh, to where a lot of people sit. So even with Texas being a little bit uh, downgraded at the quarterback position, uh, the way we calculate it, um, being a bit vulnerable, I think, as a result of that, being, you know, going up against a K-State team that is very, very tough to beat, you know, on the field, they're, they're, they scheme well, they develop players. They've got uh, players like, Ben Sennett, who's a legitimate, you know, NFL player, uh, Cooper Beebe, maybe the best guard in college football today, um, and they're just consistently, you know, solid and and get plenty of production out of guys who are walk-ons and two stars and and things like that as well. So uh, this K State team, very very good, obviously, but our numbers still do like Texas, and and even though we are a little bit lower on Texas. Uh, maybe than, than some in part because of that injury, as I've mentioned several times, uh, we're a little bit lower on K-State as well, just because our numbers do sometimes struggle to, to really account for how well they play and, and how uh, well that roster has been built in, in ways that you know our numbers aren't quite able to capture. So uh, we have Texas favored by closer to eight. The official uh, line was five and a half. Um, the talent edge number is actually in double digits. And that PRISM model, that, that stats-only model, 
does come in just barely on K-State, but it is, it's very, very close to that five and a half. So this is almost one of those scenarios where all three models line up on the favorite to cover. Um, but I think that this game easily could come down to a field goal one way or the other. And, and I do think uh, that, that this is, as I said, I think at the very beginning of this long soliloquy, uh, that, that this is a game that K-State could go into Austin and, and come away with a win. Yeah, I think, once again, similarly to what I said about Penn State and their issues offensively, it's something I kind of feel about this game as far as Texas is concerned. Now, I'd feel a lot differently if, obviously, Quinn Ewers was at quarterback. Um, but I feel like Kansas State, much like Maryland, is a team that can go. I mean, this offense for Kansas State has been humming um, at times this year. They've put up 40-plus three to- four times this year, and they haven't been against, you know, necessarily slouches every single time, right? You know, they, they put up 40-plus against a, a solid Troy team, 40-plus uh, against Houston, who gave uh, Texas fits a week ago, 40-plus uh, against UCF, who also gave Oklahoma fits a, a week ago, um, and then 40-plus against a TCU team that could be very sneaky for Texas next week. I think Texas should win this game. I think it really helps that they're at home. I think it helps tremendously that they're at home. Um, making sure that a young kid has the crowd behind him in a lot of ways, especially with the way that Texas fans are, is going to be really helpful for him. Um, I thought he was solid in this past week. Didn't think he was great, uh, but didn't have to be. I mean, I think that's what they're going to try to do for him this week coming up. Um, really going to be focused on the defense. You know, like last week, they forced Keenan Slovis in the two picks, really trying to force some interceptions. Um, to make it easier for him, give him shorter drives. Uh, Jonathan Brooks is going to be key. That run game, him and Jaden Blue, going to have to give that kid, um, you know, some help in the run game. Uh, CJ Baxter as well, really just, you know, steadying the ship and allowing him to play in shorter, shorter downs or middle downs so he's not having to throw on third and long, but I think Kansas State could thrive defensively. Um, and for Malik Murphy, I just think he has to take care of the football a little bit better. Obviously, that this past week, you know, having a pick, it was a little, you know, what was an opportune throw, in my opinion? I just feel like he can't give Kansas State hope in this ball game. I think Texas can play keep away uh, from for, from that offense, but realistically, if they if they don't, it's gonna be ugly. It's gonna be ugly. I think Will Howard is a guy who has showed me throughout his time at Kansas State, start going back to last year, that he could be QB one if he needed to be, um, and really. Shows a lot of promise. Him and Avery Johnson both show a ton of promise there. Um, so I really like this Kansas State team as far as a possible upset here. Um, as far as Texas is concerned, their schedule after this is relatively light. So you really think they get through Kansas State here. It's all po- it's all signs pointing to the Big 12 championship game and possibly a college football playoff berth. But they got to get through this one. Um, and we all know Kansas State is that consistent team every year, every year. That beat that either beats a team that's in the top ten or comes extremely close. They were extremely close last year to beating TCU before their uh, before I believe was it AJ Martinez got hurt and Will Howard had to play the rest of that game. Um, they they obviously beat Oklahoma twice in the last five years while Oklahoma's been a top ten team in the country. So Texas has to be able and to beat TCU in the in the title game. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, you know, and so Texas has to be on their P's and Q's this week, or they will absolutely fall to a Kansas State team that has no qualms and has no issues playing and beating higher ranked teams. All right, we've got going to the next game, and this is a game as a Georgia fan, I'm extremely like I've been extremely attentive about. Um, 
Missouri versus Georgia at Sanford Stadium. Uh, Georgia is a 16-and-a-half point favorite. Nick, tell me why I shouldn't be so worried about Missouri in this game as a Georgia fan. You know, I'm not going to be able to do that, I think. Uh, This this is a – uh, you know, to no one's surprise, if, if anybody has listened to us uh, in the past, uh, even though our numbers, I think, do treat Georgia uh, fairly, we, we have been lower on Georgia this year than, um, you know, certainly the, the last couple of years. Do see some vulnerabilities. Uh, they are, of course, a, a less experienced team, lost some really, really high end talent uh, from last year's, uh, you know, the, the last two years, the, the national title winning uh, program that, that we've seen win it all in, in back-to-back years. Um, but in a similar spot last week, right, uh, going up against a Florida team who um, was a 14-and-a-half-point underdog, and, and our projections just weren't quite able to get there. And, and you know, my view of the game uh, going in this time last week, I, I said that it was – a losable game for Georgia. I said that uh, I felt like that Florida team could uh, keep it close going into the fourth quarter. Obviously that turned out to be incorrect. We saw Florida march down the field uh, right away and look maybe like they, they were able, you know, look like they had that in them. Um, But then Georgia took control and it was maybe the most impressive uh, performance we've seen so far from Georgia. And it definitely uh, makes me want to walk back my statement. I also said last week where I thought uh, that that I think I might have actually said I think George is going to lose one of these next four games. Um, I I might be willing to to amend that statement. Now I, I was waiting on uh, a really dominant performance, and and uh, last week, you know that that after that first Florida touchdown to, uh, you know, late in the fourth quarter when, when the game was all but decided um, was probably the the best, what, 40 minutes of Georgia football that we've seen this season. I mean, they looked, they looked a lot closer to that, you know, national championship caliber uh, team. Nevertheless, Missouri is a team that has really, really uh, certainly moved up our, power rankings has has taken me by surprise not that that i thought that they would uh, potentially be able to come in with a seven and one record uh, i think in our you know sec preview we we definitely mapped that out as a possibility that that maybe even missouri would be able to get their uh, you know enter this game undefeated and, and they were pretty close to it uh gave lsu a, a, a real game um this Missouri team beat Kansas State, you know, the, the team that we were just talking about capable of of beating Texas, Mizzou, before we realized, you know, just how good this Missouri team uh, would end up being. Um, they were able to, to get that uh, incredible last second field goal to, to knock off a, a ranked Kansas State team. But um, Missouri is really, really solid. I mean, they've moved into the top 20 in our power rankings. Um, they are playing legitimately like a, a top 20, top 25 for sure team. They're 21st in overall team performance, 21st on offense, 31st on defense, uh, and they've got a better roster. I mean, talking, I could say a lot of the things that I've said about Kansas State, and you could you could certainly put Missouri in, in 
uh, that category. I mean, they're they're not quite grading out as well. They're not grading out like a top ten team like K State is, but they've got a top twenty five roster. In fact, they're they're nineteenth in overall roster strength, top twenty both on offense and defense. A big part of that is Brady Cook. I mean, he's added seven production points uh, so far this season. Elevated his individual player rating. Um, you know, to, to nearly 89, uh, which would be well above uh, the FBS average for, for a uh, starting quarterback. That's not quite honestly what I expected coming into this season, but he's played quite, quite well. He's been productive. Uh, they've gotten more production out of Cody Schrader at running back, even though he's been less than 100%, uh, a, a large part of the season. And then Luther Burden looks like, you know, the All-American, maybe future first-round uh, NFL draft pick that, that a lot of people thought he would be uh, coming in as a, a five-star true freshman last year. But the way that they've utilized Burden um, has been excellent. They've gotten certainly a boost from Theo Weiss uh, as well. And, uh, I mean, you know, a, an offensive line that really looked like a little bit of a question mark coming into the year uh, has played like a top 30 unit in our low-line performance numbers. Um, this this Missouri team is is just very, very solid and and so you know putting together uh, a roster in part because they uh you know they recruit sec talent they're on the the lower end if we're just looking at uh raw talent numbers compared to sec rivals like georgia uh but they recruited a you know top 25 top 30 type level but this year we've really seen them put that you know uh, put that talent uh, onto the field, let it show, and rack up some of that production. We've seen some development from guys like Brady Cook. Uh, they have been able to, to you know, help guys like Luther Burden reach their full potential. Um, it was already, you know, expectations were pretty high defensively. It's an experienced unit. They've dealt with some injuries, especially in the front seven. Uh, really, actually, I guess all, all across. I know Alex Reichshaw, uh, Andrew Reichshaw was banged up a little earlier in the year. So it was uh, Chris Abram strain, but you know, they've been able to, to, for the most part, it seems like dodge, uh, really significant injuries, long-term injuries. Um, and they've just, they've been a really, really tough team to beat and Georgia up, you know, in, until last week really just didn't look like that dominant Georgia team that we got used to, but they are getting healthier. You know, we saw Lad McConkey back. He looks healthy. Um, the running back situation is in a better spot than they've been pretty much all season. Uh, Diane Edwards is is really holding down that top spot, but Kendall Milton seems like he's been able to shake off uh, the injuries that limited him earlier this season. Um, they, of course, are going to be without Brock Bowers, but you know Oscar Delp stepping up, getting McConkey back, I think is big. You know, seeing Dominic Lovett, former Missouri Tiger. Uh, you know, helping out in that that wide receiver core as well. This is this is just a, a team that, yeah, absolutely. Georgia could build off its momentum last week. The big win against Florida uh, could really maybe they're just now ramping up into that juggernaut that we've seen you know the last couple of years. Maybe it's taken uh, two thirds of the season to to um, get to that level, um, but. You know, the way our, our numbers capture it, uh, look at it, the, the perspective that we see uh, numbers-wise, this Missouri team has been 
good enough that that it looks like at least on paper the way that we project it uh none of our projection models could could get to the 16 and a half so our team strength projection is is right around 12. the talent edge is actually a little bit closer again that production especially at the quarterback position is a big piece of that um the projected scoring margin the prism model stats only um does see it a lot closer to that 16 and a half but we're still only at 15. so um this this is if i were to to go back to what i said last week and, and think that georgia you know really could be vulnerable enough to lose this is a game that they could lose uh but they're not going to lose it if they play like they did last week um so we'll see i think perhaps it's somewhere in the middle is a game that Georgia you know, certainly should win, especially at home. Um, but are they going to be able to get to that six and a half? You know, our our numbers uh, don't see it. But uh, especially, you know, based on what we saw last week, and Georgia does seem tend to be uh, seem like they're moving in the right direction. Uh, it's definitely possible we could see another you know forty two to twenty type type game. That wouldn't shock me either. Yeah, similarly to what I said about Texas, this, this game being at home is massive for Georgia. Um, you know. If this game was up in Missouri, you know, giving Missouri the home field like we saw last year, I think it would be a much closer ball game. And not only because I believe that this Georgia team plays better at home, as for one, but obviously you got a younger quarterback. Um, and home cooking just does something for young QBs. And when they are able to play at home, heck, it does things for older QBs. Um, we've seen with Michael Penix. Michael Penix looks great at Washington. The last couple game away games have not been his best. Um but, yeah, I think Georgia – and we talked about this a couple of podcasts ago. I think Brock Bauer's injury is probably the best thing to happen for Georgia and, more, and more importantly, the best thing to happen for Carson Beck all year. Um, it, it's forcing him to use everybody. Uh, obviously, you know, we've got people who are like, yeah, you know, Carson Beck – not so Carson Beck, but Brock Bauer's won you the Auburn game. And where that was true, what, what I did see a little bit too much of in that situation, I felt like he maybe was leaning on Brock Bauer's a little bit too much in that game, which he necessarily can't, you know – lean on possibly the best offensive talent outside of Marvin Harrison Jr. in the country. But I do think that, you know, Georgia planned for this and not necessarily a Brock Bowers injury, but they planned for, they planned to have new receivers. They planned to have new guys as, as pass catchers. They brought in Dominic Levitt. They brought in Rob Rod Thomas. Um, Adonai Mitchell obviously went to Texas. Uh, you know, Marcus uh, Rosemey Jackson. Is a guy who has become somewhat of a security blanket for him. Obviously, Lad McConkey is the ultimate security blanket, um, you know, outside of Brock Bowers. And I think that against Florida, the one thing that he did really well, and that's Carson, is he hit the explosives. That's something that he hadn't necessarily done all year um, on a consistent basis. Even in games that we won against some of the G5 level, he hadn't hit some of those explosives that really just made drives easier. And that's what he's going to have to do against Missouri. They're going to be there. We saw him in the we saw it in the LSU game. They're going to give up explosives. Carson has to be accurate enough to hit them when they're there. Um, and the run game, I think, is turning somewhat of a corner, whether it be Dejan Edwards, whether it would, it would be uh, Kendall Milton, whether it's David Bell that's taking some touches at, at running back as well. I think the running game is, is, is taking some, is really hitting its stride. And that's a really scary thing for a lot of people in the country because I felt like that was the one thing Georgia didn't do well just yet, like previous teams. I felt like the last couple, of, you know, I feel like the last couple of years when Stetson didn't have it going, Kirby could talk, Kirby could, you know, put the car in neutral and uh, said, all right, cool. We're going to run the football. Uh, we're not going to just drop back and, and, and force it 30 times a game if need be. Um, or it, it, when we don't want to, we, we could run the football as well and keep us in ball games. And I think that's a huge aspect of this game going into it is which quarterback's going to have more time as far as being in the pocket. 
and secondarily, which team is going to stick with the run game longer. Both teams have propensity to want to throw the football. We've seen this. It's probably the most I've seen Georgia throw this consistently uh, that deep in a long time. And Price is really Aaron Murray. Um, but Missouri is another team who could throw the football around. Obviously, Luther Burns had a couple of 150-yard games this year. He had 170 yards earlier this season as well. So this is a team that likes to throw the ball. Brady Cook is a guy with time in the pocket. He can he can slice and dice you up. Um, he has no problem with doing so. The biggest thing that I saw from Georgia last week that gave me confidence that they would win this game and possibly cover was the fact that they got pressure with four. They made Florida's offensive line, an offensive line that had kept Mertz relatively clean for a large part of the year, really bad. You know, I, I counted, I think, four or five holding penalties. You obviously have, I think, four or five sacks and a strip sack as well uh, that obviously led to a score for us, too. It was just – it was it was really a, a, a Georgia defense that I was like, oh, we're able to get pressure with four. This is going to be real scary for teams if this is a consistent uh, run, uh, run. If not – Brady Cook is going to have a field day in the secondary. Um, they like to put Luther Burden in very in various situations. Love to play him out of the slot and use his talent there. Javon Bullard is going to have to be on his P's and Q's because he's probably going to have him all night. Um, him and Tyke Smith. Um, on the flip side of that, you know, it's going to be on Carson Beck. To, like I said, to hit those explosives. If not, you're going to be in another slugfest like you were a year ago. Give me Georgia to win this game. I think they win it by 14. I'm just not ready to say that, you know, they they win another game like they did against Florida. I felt like they almost ambushed Florida there at one point. We scored like three touchdowns in five minutes, and I was like, wow. Like, I didn't even see that coming. So, I, I you know, and, and in that game in particular, I don't think Georgia would have done that without the turnovers. So, yeah, I think realistically, give me like a 14-point win, like a 34-20 to 20, uh, type game or 37-23. Uh, I think it would be a comfortable win. But I don't. I don't see a. I don't see a blowout at this point. It's fair. Moving on, we've got Bedlam. I feel like this is the earliest Bedlam's ever been played. I'm not sure. I feel like they played like the last week of the season. Uh, uh, I think they've moved it around a bit okay. over the years. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got Bedlam, Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State at o at OSU. Uh, Oklahoma is a six and a half point favorite. Oklahoma State's been a really impressive offensive team, but they've been equally as imp- as unimpressive on the defensive side of the ball. So tell me how Oklahoma State beats a, a, an Oklahoma team that offensively is probably one of, if not the best team in the Big 12. <laughs> you're 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 asking me to do things that I don't really want to do. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Um, so Oklahoma State is is a team. It's interesting how our numbers treat Oklahoma State. We've made it a little bit of a joke that you know our numbers either really love or really hate Kentucky. Uh, our numbers, for the most part, as we talked about with you know Kansas State, uh, teams that build a similar talent profile to, to programs like that, sometimes our numbers really, really struggle to show uh, strength in those teams in their best years. And Oklahoma State is, is kind of in that category. Last year, um, our numbers had Oklahoma State pegged pretty well. We were lower on on the pokes than just about anybody, and it ended up working out for us. Uh, this year, it looked like you know we were going to be perhaps in a similar situation, especially uh, after Oklahoma State uh, got blown out by South Alabama and then lost to Iowa State the following week. But this has been a different team after that 
you know, they, they had the off week, uh, September 30th. Uh, they've come back, hit the, the bulk of their big 12 schedule. And, you know, the, the win against Kansas looking at the postgame win expectancy number, they were perhaps a little bit fortunate in that game, but, um, beating K state who we've, you know, we, we sung their praises already this, uh, show, uh, and then pick up a big win against Kansas, a team that just beat Oklahoma last week. Uh, and then Oklahoma state has really started to, uh, round into form with wins on the road at West Virginia last week, definitely took care of business against uh, a Cincinnati team that is perhaps a little bit weaker than our numbers thought they would be coming into the season. But, um, that was a, a game where, you know, I, I wasn't quite sure Oklahoma State was going to be able to come out and just uh, put a team like Cincinnati away. Um, that's that's the sort of thing that I feel like this Oklahoma State program has kind of struggled with a little bit over the last couple of weeks to, to really um, put together an impressive performance when they are expected to, to win, to win, you know, relatively uh, easily. We've seen Oklahoma State stumble in some of those spots. Uh, they're usually capable of sort of raising their level uh, to, to, you know, make things really difficult or, or beat a team like Texas, for example. Um, but, you know, they, they sometimes struggle to, to beat those teams that they really should. And at least the last couple of weeks, uh, Oklahoma State, and maybe I should be even more specific, Ali, uh, Ollie Gordon II uh, ha- has made it to where uh, Oklahoma State's just running away from teams. And, and Gordon has been just absolutely incredible. He's got, what, 500 yards the last two weeks uh, combined over that time. Um, they finally settled on quarterback Alan Bowman. Uh, they've dealt with plenty of injuries. That That's one thing that has really – I think been a pleasant surprise if you're an Oklahoma state fan or, or backer is how well they've played, even with, you know, guys like Jason Brooks uh, starting offensive lineman missing time. You know, Jake Springfield's been banged up a little bit. They've had some injuries in the receiving core, you know, Jaden Bray, Taylor Shelton. Uh, those guys were down. They lost to Sean Stribling uh, weeks ago. Um, but that offense, especially running the football has been, uh, really, really solid. You mentioned the struggles on defense. Our numbers, uh, you know, they're not they're not terrible. Uh, but Oklahoma State is definitely, you know, FBS average, maybe even a little worse than that. They're 71st in defensive team performance. Um, some of the the more uh, eye opening numbers, they are 89th in yards per play against uh, FBS opponents. They are 95th in yards per pass attempt. They're 95th in uh, college football data.com's uh, projected or predicted points added the EPA equivalent. Uh, they're 95th in that. So, you know, this Oklahoma state team, uh, it, it definitely has had its struggles, uh, you know, putting away teams at, at times, you know, last week against Cincinnati, notwithstanding, but um, it's been a little while since they've played an offense. That's really as, as good as this Oklahoma team. Um, and Oklahoma certainly, uh, you know, maybe they got caught a little bit in a, a look-ahead spot. I heard some whispers going into the game last week that um, Oklahoma was dealing with some uh, 
uh, flu uh, situations uh, going going throughout the the roster. Um, they have been banged up. You know, the running back position's been hit hard all week. Uh, Marcus Major was a little bit of a surprise late scratch coming into this game. It sounds like Tommy Walker, who's really I think been to the surprise of of most, especially when you look at the uh, the talent that guys like Javante Barnes and Kevin Sawchuck have. Uh, Tommy Walker's been the most consistent running back so far this season, but it sounds like he is, I believe, a game-time decision coming in. They, of course, lost Andrew Anthony earlier in the year. Um, a really significant defensive injury last week. Danny Stutzman uh, looked like, uh, you know, he, he uh, turned his ankle, hurt his ankle, um, tried to come back, taped it up, just wasn't. Uh, anywhere near you know the level of play that that was expected um not sure what his situation is if i had to guess based on last week uh, you know doesn't doesn't look great but but we shall see they've been without reggie grimes the last couple of weeks so you know this oklahoma team is not full strength of course neither is oklahoma state but um they're a top 20 offense they're 20th in offensive team performance they've actually developed into a top 25 defense they've got at least statistically speaking, the numbers that that are most important to us, uh, they've got an edge on that side of the ball compared to Oklahoma State. They're 21st in defensive team performance overall, 25th against the pass. They are a little worse against the run, so perhaps that's uh, you know a strength versus weakness for Oklahoma State. But um, you know they're still top 40 against the run, and they are very talented on the defensive side of the ball. They're top 10 in defensive roster strength. They are top 20 in overall roster strength. Um, you know, it won't surprise anybody to, to know that Oklahoma's got a significant talent edge. They're just able to, you know, get that high end talent, that that high four star, occasional uh, five star more consistently than Oklahoma. There's a little bit more depth there, a um, little bit more of just that that high end talent. Uh, and then guys like, you know, Dylan Gabriel, who might not have been that elite uh, recruit coming out of high school, but are incredibly experienced, been productive. Gabriel, of course, has been in the Heisman conversation so far this year. Um, this Oklahoma team is, is, you know, everything is still in front of them. The loss to Kansas really didn't change the calculation that much. Uh, you know, they're still alive in the Big 12 race. They get to the Big 12 championship game and win it. They, I think, you know, have a pretty good shot to, to get into uh, the playoff. They do have a, uh, you know, I'm not a huge history or, or how it will impact this week uh, kind of guy, but but Oklahoma has has uh, done a good job against Oklahoma State uh, in the past and have, have really had a, a, you know, run of success, been, been successful in this rivalry far more often than not. So um, it is on the road. It is going to be tough in Stillwater. It is certainly uh, a heated rivalry. And unfortunately, sounds like, you know, the last one we will see in this series for quite a while. So I'm sure that adds, you know, maybe even a, a different layer to it that could perhaps make this um, an even more raucous, you know, difficult environment for Oklahoma this week. Um, but, you know, going back to our numbers, the, the way we project this game, uh, across the board, this is one of those where we have the favorite expected to cover in all three models. Um, the team strength model likes Oklahoma more than the other three. We have a double-digit 
projected point spread there. Uh, Talon Edge, we're at, uh, right at seven and a half. The Prism model, we're right at eight and a half. So, uh, you know, on paper or on spreadsheet, this looks like a game that Oklahoma should go in and be able to win by more than a touchdown. But uh, being a rivalry game, being an Oklahoma State team that, at least in recent weeks, has you know played a little bit more uh, above that talent profile, uh, certainly than they looked like last year or early on this year. Um, maybe our numbers are a little bit slow catching up to Oklahoma State. Um, I I do think that this is a, an opportunity. I, I could certainly see this being a bounce back spot for Oklahoma, but you know, similar to to what every other game that we've talked about so far this year, I could also talk myself into this being a really, really tough spot uh, for Oklahoma. And, and, you know, maybe Oklahoma state is, is a little bit better than our numbers suggest. Yeah. I, I, the biggest thing for me is and you hit it right on the head is whether or not Oklahoma state can control the ball and can control this game on the ground. Um, I think if they can, similarly to the way that UCF was able to, they have a real chance here to make Oklahoma uh, have to really battle for this one. Um, I think that that blueprint is right there in front of their faces. UCF did so to great effect um, earlier this year, two weeks ago, uh, where they really put them put, put, put Oklahoma in a, in a tough spot due to the fact they were able to run the football and open up the passing game for them. Uh, for Oklahoma State, they're going to have to do something very similarly, where they're going to have to really focus on – Getting sure, making sure that they can run the ball and stay balanced. Um, if they get into a you know a throwing match with Oklahoma State, I, or sorry with Oklahoma, I just don't see that working for them. Um, not a team necessarily that I would be afraid of all too much in the passing game. Um, you know, I feel like they're a balanced offense when they when they can uh, throw the football. But realistically, it's Ali Gordon or bus. I mean, the, the the guy has been nothing no nothing short of amazing throughout the last two weeks. Um, I think he's going to have to be amazing again on Saturday for them to win that ball game. But my biggest thing is in this game in particular is can Venables figure out a way to slow down the team that at the end of the day, you know what they want to do. The biggest concern for me for Oklahoma this year is just they don't they're not stopping anybody on a consistent enough basis for me. Uh, UCF, it felt like they continuously were able to get what they wanted in that matchup. you know, and in my opinion, kind of shot themselves at the foot there at the end by going for two. I think they should have taken it to overtime against Texas. Offensively, they um, Texas got what they wanted. I know Quinn Ewers threw two picks, uh, but, you know, the first pick on the first drive after that was pretty solid outside of obviously one more interception. But once again, Oklahoma didn't do anything, in my opinion, that was like shut down. Um, you know, they, they've taken re- – and obviously Kansas last week, 38 points, got what they wanted. Jason Bean did what he wanted to do you know, through the ground game. And this is a guy who threw two picks last week and they still were able to win. And it's like, I'm just not sure if you, if Oklahoma has that, how do I put it? That shutdown ability at the defensive, on the defensive end. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, every game, whether you're a Florida state, a, an Oklahoma, an Oklahoma, a Texas or whatever, you need, you know that there's going to be at least, you know, three or four drives in the game that you have to lock in, shut down that team, and give your offense the ball back, whether that means you're down or you're up, right? Uh, understanding that, you know, this is a time that we need to bury them offensively, but we need stops, or understanding their offense isn't really going right now, so we need to get stops. And it goes both ways, and I feel like Kansas – or sorry, not Kansas, but Oklahoma just doesn't really have that at the moment. You know, Oklahoma scores 21 points in the second quarter last week. They go in 21-17, and I'm just like – Y'all leaving it to chance too much, and your offense is humming right now, yet your defense isn't doing what needs to be done 
to shut down a, a Kansas team that couldn't throw the ball last week, like at all. Jason Bean threw 15 of 32, 218 and two, and two interceptions, and Kansas won. That's kind of that's pretty damning for me if I'm talking about a defense, especially one led by Brett Venables, who I expect to be opportunistic at one, but also have the ability to say, no more. Enough is enough. You guys got 20. Congratulations. Let's go win the rest of this game. So I'm so so I'm looking for this game for Oklahoma to have that ability to shut down Oklahoma State at what they do well and really make them a one-dimensional team. If they can do that, it's gonna be an ugly game, ugly win for Oklahoma. If not, um, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a game, and we know how Bedlam goes. Just because you go in as a higher ranked team doesn't really matter, um, you know. And, and wouldn't be the first time that we saw a, a top ten Oklahoma team fall at the hands of an Oklahoma State team at, at Bedlam, and it's at OSU, um, it's at Boone Pickens. So we understand, you know, that they're gonna have the crowd behind them. It's gonna be a raucous environment. Um, it's a three thirty kickoff, which I kind of hate. I love Bedlam at night. I feel like it adds to it, but I feel that for all rivalry games. Uh, so. Give me Oklahoma to win this game, but this is one of those games where I'm not looking at Oklahoma as just like, okay, you won, congratulations. They're still very much in the college football playoff race, and so if you're going to win this game, you need to do so impressively. So, you know, with the most recent college football playoff rankings coming out, I believe they're at 10, I believe. Um, they need to show that they can win and win impressively. Next on the docket, we have going to the West Coast. Ah, Pac-12 game. Washington versus USC. USC is home, but Washington is favored by four and a half points. The over-under on this is 75 and a half. Or, <laughs> or the total on this is 75 and a half. Jesus. Um, man. <laughs> I'll give you an easier question for this one. Is this the game that Michael Penix takes to lead in the Heisman race? Uh, well, that's a that's another very good question. It'll definitely be an opportunity for him, uh, you know, based on what we've seen from USC overall, but but specifically defensively the last few weeks. Um, looks like a, a spot where he's going to, you know, put up those early season numbers where he's throwing for 400 plus, uh, you know, each week. But, you know, one thing I think I have to, to get out of the way, USC has been uh, a team that our numbers, if you've been paying any attention to our numbers, you you know we've struggled with USC on this recent uh, downturn. We've been very high on the Trojans pretty much all year. Um, expected the defense to improve. We really haven't seen that very much. Uh, but they're kind of the opposite of that K-State uh, team, that Oklahoma State team, because they do have you know those raw talent numbers. And it's a lot more difficult when you're starting from uh, a really high, you know, individual player rating uh, adjusted from those recruiting ratings. Um, it's, it's difficult to really downgrade a, a team like USC, especially in, you know, certain spots where they do add to those already high uh, talent numbers with production, you know, mostly it's on the offensive side of the ball, but uh, we do, you know, obviously add production points on the de defensive side for uh, big plays and, and USC uh, not quite as well this year as, as they were last year, uh, you know, turning the ball over. But, you know, things like that, sacks and, and uh, tackles for loss and picks, things uh, add some production points on, on the defensive side as well. So USC is number six in overall roster strength. They're number four 
on the offensive side of the ball, they're number 24 defensively. So, you know, should be at least as uh, far as our, our talent numbers suggest a top 25 defense. Uh, but they certainly have not played like it. They're 88th in defensive team performance overall. They are 116th against the run, 77th against the pass. Um, but, uh, you know, getting back to the original point, we're really, really high on USC. Those talent numbers carry a lot of weight. So uh, Washington is uh, certainly a, a team that our numbers like. They are incredibly productive on the offensive side of the ball. You know, Michael Penix uh, is well over a 100 individual player rating. Uh, so is Roma Dunze. Um, you know, they've, they've got a lot of great players across the board. Jalen Polk has had a huge year so far this year, which has been great for Washington because Jalen McMillan uh, has been severely limited the, the last few weeks. Uh, sounds like he, again, is, is trending in the right direction, um, but, you know, didn't record any uh, stats last week, even though he was available uh, in the game. And this is a, a Washington team that doesn't quite have – you know, those high end raw recruiting numbers that USC has, but um, they are 11th in overall roster strength. They're sixth on the offensive side of the ball. They're 22nd on defense. So they have a pretty similar talent profile to USC. And, and, you know, Washington certainly has added uh, to some, you know, high three, low four star type talent. Uh, you know, guys like Michael Penix have, have had to improve their individual player ratings over the course of several years uh, with that just consistent level of production. You know, Caleb Williams was already starting with that five-star uh, spot and, and then added to it. Um, but Penix specifically, and, and this Washington team as a whole, has been good enough that, that yeah, they, they, I understand why they are favored to win this game. Our numbers actually have USC pulling off that outright upset. We've been, you know, back-to-back -back weeks on USC as one of those favored in all three models, expected to cover as a favorite in all three models. Um, also, we're on a really bad run right now with our projections uh, indicating that the wrong team is favored. We were 0 for 6 last week, which I don't think has ever happened um, in our, six, what, six years, five years, six years doing this. Um, so, you know, things, things are not necessarily trending in the way, uh, that gives me a lot of confidence that USC is going to be able to win this game. Um, but it is at the Coliseum. Washington has looked very vulnerable against some, some fairly shaky opponents the last, uh, few weeks. I mean, you know, going all the way back to, to September 30th, um, you know, that, that trip to Tucson, it certainly looks better today than it did at the time, but uh, they were pretty fortunate to get out of, you know, that, that uh, matchup with a win. Then had the off week, were able to, to collect themselves, get a huge victory um, against Oregon, close game, obviously, uh, but were able to, to, to get that W and, and then move on. But against Arizona State and Stanford, two of the you know, lowest rated teams in the Pac-12, uh, they, they've really, really struggled. And it only gets more difficult. This week against USC, you know, Caleb Williams is, is capable of taking over a game. USC is capable of putting up 
just uh, huge offensive numbers that a Washington defense, which is, uh, you know, also capable of, of making those big plays, uh, really rushing the passer, you know, guys like Braylon Trice, uh, ZTF is back and, and looks like um, at times uh, the, the, you know, all conference caliber player uh, that he shows, maybe even all American future. Um, Washington's been banged up, you know, three starters uh, were out last week. Uh, one defensive lineman, two in the secondary. They've been a little bit limited, uh, especially in the secondary so far this year. But, you know, Washington, even though the, the team performance numbers aren't elite, um, they're only slightly better than FBS average. They're 51st in defensive team performance overall. Uh, they've really, really struggled against the run where they're 93rd. They are top 20 against the pass, but, you know, they will have their hands full uh, with USC, who is capable of doing both. Sometimes we've, we've seen them go away from the run game a little bit, um, but with guys like Marshawn Lloyd and Austin Jones and, you know, Caleb Williams can run a little bit as well. Um, I, I think we're going to see, uh, you know, pretty pretty balanced game plan to, to try to go against that potential Washington uh, weakness. But, you know, this certainly is a game that Washington can win. Uh, they have been the more consistent team. They've certainly been the better team on defense. Uh, our numbers uh, still can't quit USC. Um, uh, my my confidence is is definitely shaken after two losses and what maybe should have been a loss uh, last week against Cal. Um, but this USC team is is talented enough to take down Washington as well, uh, especially a Washington team that has looked very beatable the the last two weeks, especially, and really three out of four, four out of four, right? Because they barely beat Oregon. So, you know, the the last four games, the last five weeks, this Washington team um, hasn't quite played as, as, you know, well as, uh, what are they, fifth in the playoff rankings, as that, you know, might suggest. That, that looks like the team that's uh, in control right now of the Pac-12. So do I trust Washington more than I trust USC? Yeah, absolutely. But this USC team is is good enough to win this game. Um, you know, certainly talented enough. Uh, they're going to have to take a step forward, certainly defensively, come up with a big play, a couple of turnovers probably. Um, but Washington is is uh, shown, especially in, in recent weeks, uh, that they're capable of, of stumbling a little bit at times as well and, and letting inferior opponents make games, you know, closer than they should be, um, less talented teams. How will they stack up against a team that's arguably more talented or at least just as talented? Um, we'll see. We'll see if Washington can, you know, get back to that level of play that they had against Oregon, uh, this time on the road against what I think is a dangerous USC team in a, a pretty tough spot for Washington. Yeah, for sure. I, I think the one thing I will say about Washington is I feel like, this might just be a team that right now is struggling with playing down after such a hype affair against Oregon. Um, I understand maybe one week of that. I know two weeks of that doesn't necessarily do any better for them. But having a USC team playing the former, you know, last year's Heisman Trophy winner, you know, playing them in the Coliseum, playing them on the road, all of that should add to a team to play up again. Um, and maybe Washington goes out there and realizes, you know, we have a, we really do have an opportunity. They were ranked fifth, excuse me, in the um, playoff rankings have a real good chance of making a national title run. Like it's, it's a very open 
opportunity to to make the college football playoff this year. Uh, Michigan still has to play Ohio State, obviously. And everybody understands that typically if you can stay undefeated and just find yourself perfectly there, when that game obviously ends up going down, you got a real shot. You got a real shot uh, of making the playoff. Obviously, they didn't have to win the, the Pac-12 championship. But still, I think I think the thing for Washington is, and going forward, they just need to turn it on. Uh, I feel like in the last two games, that's exactly what they've done once the game kind of got sticky. They've been like, oh, yeah, that's right. We we are, you know, actually playing for something. And, and you know, we're playing against two teams that want to beat us. I think for the rest of the year, they've got a schedule that allows them to kind of continuously play up, right? They've got USC uh, this week. They've got Utah the week after. And they've got Oregon State and Washington State to end the year. And I think realistically, um, they have a really good chance of, of running that table, but it's going to have to be like they did against Oregon. I, I don't know if they were necessarily the better team in that game, but they were the more more composed team. And that went a long way in, in, in that matchup. I think in this one in particular, they're just going to have to be, they just got to understand that they're playing a team that can match them offensively, similarly to the Oregon game. And it's going to be about maybe three or four plays that really separate it, right? Against Oregon, it was a couple of fourth down attempts. Uh, one before uh, halftime and obviously one at the end of the game that really separated that game in Washington's favor. And a similar situation might happen against USC where it's a fourth and one, um, you know, maybe USC goes for a two after a touchdown drive, a missed field goal that really separates these two ball clubs um, in this matchup because the gap isn't that large. Um, if, if, if there's a gap at all, in my opinion, um, my biggest thing on top of that is can USC stop anybody? The answer has been no <laughs> so far this year. And so I think on one hand, you have to look at this game and go, well, as much as Washington's played down and the slept walk and things of that nature, one of those games, they only gave up seven points, right? The other one, obviously, they gave up 30-plus, but one of them, they gave up seven. Um, and I don't think USC has been able to hold anybody to, to, to seven points since I was 16. I, I don't know. That was just be, being egregious. But, you know, I, the USC defense is just that bad at times. Um, and so I, I'm more comfortable saying that Washington should win this game just genuinely because you agree. I think so, too, uh, that Washington has more of a well-rounded ball club and has the ability defensively to actually shut a team down that they're supposed to. I know the offense didn't show up in that Arizona State game, but the defense was, you know, played extremely well. Um, I guess, you know, and that same Arizona State team took what USC to double overtime or took them to overtime. So I, I think once again, you look at this game and you go, I know USC can't stop anybody. I know Washington has the ability to stop it, somebody. So I'm going to lean on Washington here. Um, I guess I'll be the answer of my own question. I think if Michael Penix goes out there and outduels Caleb Williams, then he's probably first in the Heisman race, um, in my opinion, uh, genuinely, because I don't think anybody else in the country has the foothold on it right now. And that would give him two high market wins against two, I think against two, Heisman competitors. Um, I know Caleb Williams obviously isn't in the Heisman race this year, but obviously he won it last year and to beat the incumbent and to outduel him is still a massive, a massive winning his favor, especially one that's going to finish, you know, or probably get drafted as the number one quarterback in this year's draft. <laughs> All right. And we've got one more. And I think obviously this is a great one to finish on um, LSU heading to Alabama. This game First and foremost, Alabama is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I feel like that's almost entirely to them being at home. Um, and the over-under on this, which I'm extremely intrigued by, is 59-and-a-half. And the reason why I am is because neither one of these teams plays the best of defense, and both of these teams offensively, I think, have turned a corner. Uh, but this game, in my opinion, is a clash of two completely different styles. 
Um, so the question I have to ask for Nick is which style wins the, the, the road graders that LSU has been, or sorry, the road graders that Alabama has been a lot of times this year, um, or the absolute firecracker that is the, the LSU <laughs> offense that typically that seems to throw the ball, the football around the yard, no matter who they're playing against. Yeah. The, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, that, we're not necessarily expecting to see elite defense here. I think that's a little bit of a uh, an understatement to LSU. I mean, they've been uh, triple digits in most defensive numbers <laughs> this year uh, across the board. Even, you know, you look stat by stat, they're in the 80s and the 90s, uh, and a lot of the best ones that, that we look at and well into the triple digits and things like yards per play allowed, points per drive allowed, uh, EPA per play. Um, all the team performance numbers, you know, they're 101st in, in defensive team performance. But to your point, offense, I mean, they they have been the best in the country, quite honestly. They're number one in offensive team performance. They're number two in passing uh, offensive team performance. And this this surprised me. Uh, but just a lot of the efficiency numbers that, that we look at that go into this, uh, they're number one in rushing uh, team performance. And, and um, you know, when you think of, LSU, even though they've, they've certainly got some talent in the running back room, uh, Logan Diggs has been a nice find. They've got some depth there as well. You know, Josh Williams always seems to um, come out and, and, and do good things. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of Noah Kane or, or John Emery or, uh, you know, the, the talented true freshman Caleb Jackson. But, you know, all of those guys are, are capable. But, you know, the the – uh, what Jaden Daniels has done, uh, certainly through the air, I think he's taken a, a big, big step forward there, but he's always been able to run it. And, and he really, I think, does add uh, a really dangerous element to that LSU rushing attack. And, and it is, um, you know, really done a lot to, to help them uh, develop into arguably, at least the way that we calculate it, the, the best rushing offense uh, in the country. But um, you know, Alabama, who has played top 20 defense, but not, uh, you know, that that top five or, or really toward the top of the uh, leaderboard type defense that we got used to seeing from Alabama pretty consistently. Um, this is this is an LSU offense that I think is going to be capable of, of really stressing that unit. You know, Jaden Daniels progression, talking about the Heisman race, I mean. Jaden Daniels, uh, if he's able to, to go in, beat Alabama for the second straight year, uh, do it in Tuscaloosa this time, as you mentioned, um, you know, that that's a, a, a real boost to his resume as, as a Heisman contender uh, and think he'll definitely be in the mix. But you know, what we've seen from him, what we've seen uh, from the running or excuse me, wide receiver position, Malik Neighbors, most notably, just got off to an incredible start this year, but Brian Thomas has been very, very good. We've seen some key moments from Kyron Lacey as well. seems like uh, Mason Taylor, the talented tight end, shaking off a little bit of his uh, early season injury uh, and is back and, and capable of, of being productive there as well, adding to that passing attack. Um, Emory Jones, the, the starting right tackle, has been uh, hurt recently, so – you know, that LSU offense is not at 100%. As I mentioned, there has been a little bit of injury uh, that, that Diggs has dealt with earlier in the year, Taylor as well. Um, 
But what's got me most concerned, not only are the numbers bad <laughs> defensively for LSU, um, but they are at, at well short of 100% health-wise on that side of the ball. Um, they've, they've been dealing with uh, injuries and, and other uh, things in the secondary most of the season. You know, obviously we've got the, the just really, really tough uh, situation that Greg Brooks has been dealing with. Um, they haven't had J.K. Johnson, who was expected to potentially start all season uh, after a fall camp injury. Uh, sounds like Zai Alexander and Denver Harris, um, both of whom have been starters at times this year at corner, are already ruled out for this game. Um, you know, they, they haven't even been healthy for the most part at linebacker this year. It does sound like uh, you know, Harold Perkins is back to 100% after dealing with an injury earlier in the year. Omar Spates has been dealing with things, but, uh, you know, both of those guys are at least back and, and on the field at the same time. That's a positive. Uh, but we got news this week that Makai Wingo, the defensive lineman who was, you know, probably the MVP of, of uh, if there were one of that, that week one loss to Florida State defensively for LSU, um, he's going to be out. For the remainder of the season so you know lsu just hasn't been good obviously defensively but they're they're not really showing a whole lot of uh you know indication there's not a whole lot of evidence based on statistically but also you know injury wise not a whole lot of evidence to suggest that, that lsu defense is going to get much better anytime soon and so alabama who you know, again, you know, I mentioned they're they're not quite playing the the elite level defense that we got used to seeing. The most recent Alabama teams, we've really kind of gotten used to uh, that very, you know, top of the leaderboard style offense. Um, you know, last year took a little bit of a step back, but this season, I mean, they're they're fortieth uh, in offensive team performance. We haven't seen that in a while. Um, you know, last year they they moved all the way back to 11th. It was the first time out of the top 10 in offensive team performance since 2016. Um, and, you know, 40th would be the worst, uh, certainly of the CFB winning edge era. Um, but they just haven't, you know, they, they just haven't quite uh, been able to consistently uh, get going uh, on offense. Uh, Jalen Milrow, obviously, you know, I feel like I've said obviously a lot. Maybe maybe some of these things aren't actual obvious, actually obvious. I don't know. Uh, but Jalen Milrow came into the season. We weren't sure he was going to be the starter. Wins the job coming out of fall camp. Loses it briefly. Comes back. Has been the starter. Has been better. But, you know, Jace McClellan, I know our preseason uh, stat projections were sky high on Jace McClellan. He's, he's been good in spurts, but hasn't quite really, you know, taken over uh, what I expected to be a real strength of this Alabama offense. I thought if we were going to see them take a step back in the team performance numbers offensively, I thought, and part of that, you know, part of that would be that they were just really leaning on the rushing attack, you know, leaning on McClellan, leaning on Roydell Williams. Maybe we would see uh, the emergence of, of a younger guy like Jam Miller, or the five-star true freshman, Justice Haynes, but Alabama's 73rd in rushing team performance so far this season. I mean, that that's below FBS average. Um, the passing game has taken a step forward recently. Uh, I think we've seen, you know, Jermaine Burton 
look a lot more like the player we expected him to be for Alabama last season after he transferred to Georgia. He's he's really coming along. Isaiah Bond has taken a big step forward. Uh, we've seen uh, you know moments from Amari Nyblack had one game in particular where where he looked really really good. Um, but Alabama just has not been consistent. You know the offensive line was a question mark coming into the season. They grayed out pretty well, even starting a true freshman at left tackle on Caden Proctor, dealing with some injuries, guys like Tyler Booker. Uh, I know that uh, Terrence Ferguson, kind of their, their you know, guy who could play multiple positions and, and be an extra offensive lineman and, and things like that. Uh, he was limited earlier in the year. But just you know, this Alabama offense specifically, but really the team as a whole, uh, just hasn't been that elite team that that we got used to seeing. So even though they do rank 15th in overall team performance, a lot of that is that top 20 defense, almost top 15 level defense. Uh, they're still top 10 in our power rankings because, you know, they're still Alabama. They recruit at an elite level. You just look at raw numbers. I mean, they're, you know, number one in several uh, specific position groups as far as average, you know, 247 rating. Um, they are top five in, in defensive roster strength. Uh, but we just haven't quite seen it. You know, they haven't looked like a top 10 team to me very often. Are they capable of beating LSU? Yeah, LSU's been uh, obviously beatable. Lost to Ole Miss, lost to Florida State. Um, but I, I do think that this LSU team, because they do have that elite level of offense, uh, if this game becomes a shootout, right now I, I think I trust that LSU offense a, a little bit more. And even though, kind of similar to what you were talking about USC, uh, we can we can say that Alabama can stop someone. Is LSU going to be able to stop someone? I don't know. I don't know. But right now, I think if if you know if this game ends up twenty four to twenty, I think Alabama wins. If this game ends up forty five forty two. I think LSU wins it. Um, so this one, this one could go either way. Our projections don't see uh, a significant edge, uh, really, in, in any of them. They all do line up on LSU to cover, but they do all have Alabama to win. So you know, we're, we're very much in line with what the odds makers have. Uh, the team strength model is uh, Alabama by two point eight. Uh, the talent edge model is Alabama by three point three. And the prism model is 3.17. So, you know, very, this should be as, as all these games, I mean, all, but uh, what five out of six are, are, are uh, ranked versus ranked matchups in the, the playoff rankings. Um, this could very well be one of the best games of the week. One of the best games of the season, perhaps um, traditionally we expect that out of these two teams, but uh, both are, both are vulnerable and, you know, both have uh, significant weaknesses um, statistically, but also in some ways, both have, have fallen a little bit short of expectations so far this year. Alabama still has a little bit more to play for with, with just the one loss, the loss to Texas. Um, they could win out and, and find themselves, uh, you know, in that national championship mix. And, and this team is talented enough, kind of like what we were talking about Georgia. They could ramp up here in the last uh, you know, quarter or, or third of the, the regular season and get to that elite level. Um, and maybe this LSU game is is the first 
not not necessarily the first. I mean, they look they look good in the second half against Tennessee. They look good um, against Mississippi State earlier in the year, but um, they also really really struggled to put away Arkansas, who has not played very well. So um, this game, getting back to it, could could certainly go in either direction. I understand Alabama being favored. I also understand our numbers uh, thinking that LSU is is going to keep it close and, and potentially having a chance to win, especially, as I said, um, if this is a high-scoring game, I, I would like LSU actually to, to pull off the upset, even on the road, in that scenario. Yeah, I think realistically when you look at this game, the one thing that worries me a bit about it is for, for LSU to start off, is you're right. I think they've struggled mightily to stop teams who are who. I mean, just in general. I mean, the defense has not been good this year. The, the defense has shown an inability to really stop anybody um, on a on a week to week basis. I mean, their their most impressive game as a defense was against Army, Auburn, and Mississippi State. I think and, and Purdue, and I think all of those teams are currently under 500 or or, or at 500. So I think it's going to be. I think it's really difficult. To, to suggest that going into this game, LSU's defense is just going to suddenly wake up. Um, on the flip side of that, I feel like Alabama's defense in some ways have turned a corner over the last couple of weeks, right? You look at them against in the second half of the Tennessee game, um, the most of, you know, for the most part against Arkansas, what they did against Ole Miss earlier this year, really a defense that I think has steadily improved week in and week out. Um, some of their bigger bigger names maybe ha- didn't flash early on in the year uh, that we may have expected, like your Dallas Turners and things of that nature. But I really think defensively against Tennessee, they just they said no. They said no in that second half. And to shut out a Tennessee team that had put up a 20 spot on you in the first half to nothing in the second half while your offense, you know, figured itself out was really was really elite. Um, it was really elite level stuff uh, from them. And I think going into this week, if I'm an Alabama fan, the one thing that I think, you know, I can lean on is if we can get to Jaden, much like Florida State was able to do earlier in the year, we can shut down this offense or at the very least slow it down. And I think, you know, my only concern for Alabama going into this game is can their offense go if they can't stop LSU? But more importantly, can Jalen Milrow just have a clean game? Um, He hasn't had one. I don't believe he's had one in the last three – excuse me, in the last three games, he just hasn't necessarily had a clean affair where I just want him to go out there and just, you know, do what he's supposed to do. Oh, yeah, I went against uh, Arkansas, excuse me. I, I just want him to have a clean game and not put his team in and behind the eight ball at any point because I don't think you can do that against this LSU team. Like, it's just not something you can do. Um, if you get down by a score, 10 points, two scores, you might as well call off the dogs. There's there's no 20-7 to 7 comeback this week, if that's how they want to play it, um, they're, they're going to have to come in off the out, out uh, in the outset and do what they're supposed to do. Um, if not, it's going to be really scary for that Alabama team because I just don't think they have the the dogs to to get them back in this ball game if they are down like a twenty to seven like they were against Tennessee a couple of weeks ago. Give me, I think LSU wins this game sheerly put off of the will of Jaden Daniels. Uh, that kid is arguably playing as the best quarterback in the country right now. Um, has a real opportunity to possibly, possibly get LSU into uh, the SEC championship game for a second year in a row. Obviously, they would need some things to happen for Ole Miss 
um, because obviously they lost to Ole Miss, so they don't have that head-to-head. But if they were to beat Alabama this week and maybe get some help from Georgia down the line um, in that in that week, I think it's week 12 or week 11 matchup, uh, or week 11 matchup against Georgia, they can make a second run to the SEC championship game. And at that point, I know they'd be six and or the, you know ten and two, but he'd have to be a guy you have to give some type of credit to. This is a guy who's thrown twenty five touchdowns, three interceptions, seventy three percent completion percentage. He is balling. I mean, that has nothing to do with his legs, which obviously I think won them the game against Missouri. So give me LSU. I think he continues to play, you know, at this elite level that he's playing, uh, which he's going to have to for them to win this game. And I'm just not sure that Jalen Milrow is going to not make a mistake. He just feels, uh, even when he's got it cooking, he throws a couple of passes that I'm just like, man, if that DB had hands. Or if that that linebacker turned around, like they'd be going the opposite way. Um, So I just feel like he he has to show me that he can play a clean game um, in a big game for him to, for him, for, for me to be, you know, to feel confident, confident enough about them pushing forward and possibly being in the SEC championship game. But give me LSU here. I don't know how many years that Alabama has lost two games in Tuscaloosa, but I I don't think it's been a lot because if they were to lose this game, that'd be two losses in Tuscaloosa. I don't know the last time that that's, that, that's happened. I don't know if that's happened at all in the Nick Saban era, except for like what year one or two uh, yeah. where they've lost two games in Tuscaloosa. That would be unprecedented, which They've had an unprecedented year already. This was, I think, correct me if I'm wrong. This is the first time in like a decade that they fell out of the top ten. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think give me LSU to win this one. It's gonna be fun though. It's gonna be really fun. I think it could genuinely end up like last year, where it comes down to a, a last minute touchdown or a last minute two point conversion or field goal to win this game. Uh, but give me LSU. I feel a little bit more confident about that their team right now, especially their quarterback as well. Yeah, I, I. I... I think that this is is going to be a real test, and I agree with you that that as we've talked about, you know, at times this this Alabama team feels different; they feel more vulnerable, and and it's kind of interesting to me that as as much as that's a concern, I think mm-hmm. um, they are still positioned to do the types of things that that every Alabama team. Uh, in recent history, in that run uh, that you mentioned, you know, is capable of doing. I, I did pull it up real quick. Uh, Alabama did finish 13th in the uh, college football playoff final rankings in 2019. Okay. That, that two-loss season uh, that they had then. They won the Citrus Bowl that year and I think finished uh, – yeah, they were inside the top 10 in, in the AP poll, but they have not finished – outside the top 10 since that very first Nick Saban team. So I'd have to go through year by year. I'm not sure about your uh, wins in, in, in Tuscaloosa question. That's that's your, I would have to say that, that, that you're probably uh, right about that because there's only, you know, they've only lost more than uh, <laughs> twice. One other time uh, in 2010 was the last time they've had three losses. So uh, it, it would be, um, if it hasn't happened before, uh, it would be extremely rare. So, uh, but yeah, definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So do you have any more games on your docket that we haven't talked about already that either you like, you dislike, or you'd absolutely stay away from? 
well, so I I was going through as I've I've mentioned a lot towards the end of our shows uh, the the thing the numbers that seem to be uh, working pretty well for us this year are those when the three model uh, when when all three models line up and they agree that the favorite will cover. Uh, you know, last week I said overall the numbers were were right under 500. Well, we were over 500 again uh, for several weeks in a row now um, on that group. Oklahoma is in that uh, group that we mentioned. Uh, my my level of confidence maybe isn't you know super high in it, uh, but that has been a spot that's proven to be pretty good for us so far. One where again my my confidence might not be super high it's maybe not quite as low as it was in the utah situation last week which again you know trust trust the process i guess that that ended up working out for us but uh we're on duke uh to to cover the 12 and a half at home against wake forest you mentioned it briefly earlier in the show riley leonard's health situation even though he's been playing the last couple of weeks it's not looked like 100 percent um it's it's very very possible that our numbers are not really able to drill in on Riley Leonard is not a hundred percent because we either have, you know, we account for injuries, but it's either Leonard's in or he's out. I haven't really gotten to the point where I'm willing to, to make a manual uh, override of, of that type of situation. Um, but, you know, maybe, maybe that's one uh, Ohio state has done pretty well for us in, in these scenarios. They were, you know, we were on Ohio State to cover uh, against Purdue a few weeks ago, a big number. Uh, we were on Ohio State to cover against Penn State, not as big a number. Uh, but this week at Rutgers, 18 and a half point favorites, we've got Ohio State favored by 20 or more uh, in, in all three projection models. Um, and there are, there are a few others sprinkled in as well. UTSA just barely got their, their road trip uh, at North Texas. I, I don't hate that one. Um, we've got some really close calls. I mentioned uh, earlier in the week that uh, Texas is very close, just a few percentage points. FAU, who was one last week that ended up working out well for us against Charlotte. Um, we're very, very close there uh, as well. But uh, Louisville is one to cover in a kind of a sneaky good ACC matchup against Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech still alive in the ACC uh, championship race. A little bit of a surprise, but um, uh, yeah, these, these these numbers are a little bit. Uh, I mean, they've 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 been good to us so far this year. So hopefully, we'll uh, be able to continue. It looks like Nevada is one. Uh, got Nevada covering three and a half against Hawaii in all three numbers as well. So uh, there are definitely some potential opportunities if if those numbers uh, continue. How about you? Yeah, I've got a couple of – I see a lot of low-scoring affairs or, or, you know, Vegas saying a lot of low-scoring affairs. I just don't necessarily agree with. Um, I think Florida covers their six-and-a-half versus Arkansas. Uh, Arkansas has been a team that's been relatively trash. Um, <laughs> and Florida has the propensity to run it up um, against bad teams like they were able to do against Vanderbilt earlier this year. Um, and I just don't see how three how, – how six – how. Florida's only a touchdown favorite versus an Arkansas team, especially when Florida's at home. 
um, and has a chance really. And I was listening to a couple of Florida podcasts. Really, this is their best chance of getting the bowl eligibility. Like, this is this is. I'm not gonna say this is it, but their schedule from here on out after this Arkansas game is a gauntlet. So the players understand that they have to win this game. Really, in my opinion, to get bowl eligibility. I mean, after this, they've got LSU on the road, Missouri on the road, and obviously, then they have to play Florida State at home. They could very well go 0-3 in those games. And so they know very well that they have to win this game against Arkansas at home. And I think they're going to do so and do so in a uh, pretty, um, imp- uh, pretty um, impressive fashion. Uh, so six and a half is a little too low for me in that matchup. Um, I got a couple of more I wanted to run by you. Um, I think I think it was Louisville. I think they have them covering that mm-hmm. nine and a half over Virginia Tech. Um, I, let me see. Trying to figure out where all of them are and highlight them. One okay. that that we probably could have gone more in depth on uh, had we had we had the time was UCLA at Arizona. We yep. mentioned Arizona a few times. Mentioned yep. UCLA a few times the show, but uh, only UCLA yeah. didn't play all that well last week, as you said, against Colorado. Arizona really trending in the right direction. Noah Fafita taking over that quarterback spot um they're getting a little healthier so michael wiley back on the field last week um that's uh that's a uh, one of those our numbers are actually on ucla to cover the one and a half uh in in all three projections but um that's a that's a tough spot i mean arizona took down an oregon state team that was playing you know they were 11th in the in the poll going into that game Our, our Power ratings weren't quite that high, but Oregon State legitimately a very, very tough team to beat week in and week out, and Arizona was able to do it. So uh, that's a winnable game, I think, for Arizona. But but also, you know, our numbers have been really high on UCLA and and might be a little slow uh, to, to really be capturing Arizona's progress as well. Oh, yeah, and then last uh, – well, not lastly, but Kentucky covering that three-and-a-half against Mississippi State. Like what I said earlier about Arkansas, Mississippi State's just a bad team right now. I, mean, I feel like Kentucky's off- offensively, at the very least, showed a lot last week against Tennessee. I think they are able to get back to their run game, which they would prefer to do. But I think Devin Leary showed that he had ability to throw the football last week, um, and that's obviously something that they could lean on going forward. So I, I really like for them to cover that three and a half. I understand that they're on the road and Mississippi State's been hostile environment, but they are just not a great team right now. And I think that they're going to, and that's going to just get compiled by them losing to Kentucky pretty handedly this, uh, this Saturday. Um, and uh, a weird one. I think funny enough, I think Colorado covers against Oregon state. I think Oregon state offensively doesn't necessarily give me a, t- a sense of a team that can just obliterate a team. Um, I don't believe in a, f- uh, obviously I'm, I'm looking at, at right now, I'm pretty sure Oregon state hasn't won by double digits since they beat Utah? No, they did it one more time. They were able to beat uh, California. Um, oh, and UCLA by 12. So I guess on that regard, maybe I'm a little bit too facetious there. But 13 and a half feels a little too rich uh, for an offense that's, once again, I don't believe is all too explosive. I think they're a good offense, don't get me wrong. Uh, but to bury a Colorado team that only last week, even in their worst performance, I think – uh, one of their worst performances of the year, only lost by 12 to UCLA. I would I would feel like that's more of a comfortable number I'd be around. Uh, I feel like this game is going to be like an Oregon State 10-point victory where they have it in hand. They just don't run away with it, and Colorado just kind of hangs around, kind of like what they did last week. Or it might just be a bad beat situation, and Colorado scores a touchdown with like two and a half minutes to go. You know, they end up losing by 12, and, 
you know, some guy is throwing his TV out of the window because he had Oregon State by 13 and a half. So <laughs> I like how I'll cover there on that one. Yeah, our, our numbers agree. Uh, my my only real hesitation, man, Shadur Sanders looked like he was really, really banged up uh, towards yeah, the, the end of last week's game. So hopefully yeah. hopefully he'll be back and, and close to full strength. Uh, but if not, that Oregon State defense, not as good as, as uh, they have been in the past this year. But I think that they'll be able to get after him, uh, especially if he's as limited as, as he looked at times last week. And then – I, I did catch another one. I was going to let it go, but full transparency. I think for the fourth time, at least the third time in a row, we have Miami covering all three. It <laughs> has not gone well uh, in recent weeks. They're on that, you know, usual usual suspects uh, list that we often text about on, on Saturday. Uh, so we'll see if, if uh, we'll end up on the right side. But a, a tough matchup in Raleigh where NC State knocked off Clemson last week. I'm shocked at the Miami one because that I, I I just would not bet on them, especially after the last couple of weeks. They just don't seem like they're a team that wants. To. I wouldn't suggest it. They yeah. we've had good good uh, results in this scenario, but USC has has hurt us. Miami has hurt us, and North Carolina has hurt us, uh, and we're still on Miami. So uh, maybe we'll be fortunate this week, but yeah, my my faith is uh, pretty pretty well shot when it comes to Miami. <laughs> All right. Well, Scotland's episode comes to a close. Um, yeah. <laughs> he'll be back. He'll be, he'll be back hopefully, hopefully celebrating a, a Diamondbacks series. victory. Right, right, right. Uh, but uh, regardless, yeah, we we uh, we missed Scott this week. But uh, Xavier, thank you for taking over the hosting duties, and okay. uh, we'll look forward to having him back next week as well. Of course, yeah. Um, like I said, you can follow everybody here. You can follow Nicholas Ian Allen at CFB Winning Edge. You can follow myself, Xavier Trish, at Xavier underscore Trish. That's T-R-I-C-H-E. Uh, thank you guys for listening to the podcast, sharing the podcast. Um, and, yeah, we're out. Campus to Ken. Campus oh, to Ken. Uh, Man, <laughs> I, that is where that, – that, I, I dropped the ball there. I dropped the ball. That I apologize, Campus Ken. <laughs> been a long time since I hosted a podcast. Drop the ball on that one. Yes. <laughs> obviously, you can find all of our things on Campus Ken. We appreciate Campus Ken for obviously producing the podcast on their website. And obviously, Nick is on a ton of other shows on Campus Ken as well. It's not just CFB Winning Edge, but Nick does. Is it? You do you a the, Saturday the tailgate morning. Saturday morning. Yep. Two hours. Uh, we go through a lot of our numbers, but of course, it's uh, uh, because Campus Canton is. Uh, fantasy focused uh, site and, and, and company. Uh, a lot of start sit scenarios. We go through prize picks and, and uh, player props. Uh, look more in depth on our player projections uh, on that show. You know, we really don't touch on them very much during the season here. Um, but absolutely, campus to canton.com and uh, on Twitter at campus the number two Canton, as Scott would say. Uh, and if you become a C2C Winning Edge tier member, um, all of our projections are published to the Discord uh, each week. So we uh, love to, to be available and, and uh, communicate there throughout the week. And then, of course, tons of Campus to Canton tools and, and uh, uh, valuable information uh, available through the website to all members of, of campus2canton.com. All right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That'll do it. Yeah. We close the podcast on that. <laughs>
I guess at this point we should say, take it easy, everybody. Yeah.